Hey, 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 this is The Rest, episode 13, the rest of my thoughts, the rest of our church, and hopefully with a little bit of tender love and care, uh, the rest for our souls as well. Uh, Disclaimer, this is not a sermon. These are my thoughts and interests, and uh, these are your thoughts and interests. The rest is a time for open and safe opinions and dialogues, uh, the rest of a sermon, the rest of the conversation, the notes behind the notes, and the people uh, that are a part of the church. And uh, today is a great day. We are going to um, do some of the regular stuff specifically with footnotes as I've just gotten through Easter weekend. But um, in a special fashion today, I welcome my wife, uh, Katie Kovacs, and she is here as my special guest today. How you do? How you doing, Katie? <laughs> good. How yeah. are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. Um, <laughs> I'm nervous. Are you nervous? Yes. This will be fun. This will but... be fun. So Katie is here to um, uh, join me for the first part of the podcast, um, and just add whatever little commentaries that you want, which uh, is kind of like a normal for us. I mean, we have so many conversations behind the scenes about sermons and things like that anyway. And then, um, and then today she's here as my special guest because the month of May is uh, mental health awareness month. And Katie is a mental health professional and a whole lot more than that. Um, and so we'll get to hear from Katie and, and a little bit of her backstory, which of course is uh, crosses paths with my backstory. And so we get to hear a little bit about us, but mainly here, Katie and her story and how uh, mental health plays a role in her life and through her life and get some some insights into that. And I hope to be doing uh, two podcasts, two episodes with Katie talking about mental health and then going to bring in some other uh, mental health professionals as well, uh, starting here in May to to hear from some other people from the rest of the people. So um, anyway, so how was your Easter, Katie? (laughs) <laughs> what did we do? Oh my gosh. Our Easter was like lots of weekends that we've had recently. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, worship services, you staying busy with that, me bringing the kids, but also bookend with basketball tournaments mm-hmm. and candy and stomach bugs stomach at bugs. our house. We had, we had, we got bookended by stomach bugs. Ugh, yeah. We picked up, I picked up Jet on Thursday from school. He had the poor... The actual like throw up in the classroom, you know, thing. embarrassment, embarrassment. And then Kellen was sick. Mm-hmm. He was sick socially and emotionally and <laughs> mentally and every other way. Hungover from a Hung sleepover. Hungover from a sleepover and parlaying that into being sick, which he was actually kind of sick, but I don't know what comes first. He did have a fever. The chicken or the egg. Um and so, then, and then the whole Lucky Charms thing. And then the Lucky Charms thing. So, so if you haven't seen in people dot and people dot com, and I, I guess it's national news. Yeah, it was on ten TV here in Columbus. So over three thousand cases have been reported to General Mills or via Twitter to to General Mills that people are getting sick because of eating Lucky Charms, which very well could have happened in our house. That could have happened. We are Lucky Charms people. We like <laughs> Lucky Charms. I like Lucky Charms. I had a I had a bowl of Lucky Charms. I don't have it that often, but I had a bowl of Lucky Charms like a week ago, did a little you, bowl. Did you get sick? No. Oh. Do you think it's in the grain or in the in the mellow? I don't know. That's, That's a weird. good question. I don't know. So, 
So today, uh, well, so we had Easter. Easter was fun. We had a conversation on the church staff about how people like are surprised that our kids uh, get uh, toys for Easter, like that it's like a thing. So like Carmen does that uh-huh. for her kids. And then I think Emma does, but she wasn't there when we had the discussion, but there was like, all of us were there and it was like, everyone's like, when I grew up, I didn't get any toys. I just got like candy. And we're like, oh, so we, we yeah. have the Easter bunny must, we must have like a developed, a more progressive Easter bunny that's working this, the situation now because he brings toys Maybe. and presents. Although not so developed, uh, one of our children asked for Yeezys from the Easter Yeezy Bunny, slides. and he's not that developed. He's not that, he's not that developed. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't just take every request, but he does bring. He does or yeah. she is the Easter Bunny a boy or a girl? I don't know. Mm. I mean, I think we traditionally have used the pronoun he, but yeah. I appreciate the question. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he might. He might. <laughs> He might be a she. There I mean, you go. Or it could be a boy and he's just pink. Right. And that's like in. Kellen exactly. likes all kinds of pink. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what's happening. So so today we're going to just do a quick recap and then we're going to dive into all things mental health. If you want to fast forward, then fine. But I, I don't think you should because I'm just going to do a quick recap of the the most important weekend in the church calendar, uh, Good Friday and Easter. And if you didn't get to hear those messages, then I'm going to give a little recap and have a little more discussion. So this is uh, the rest of the message called Footnotes. <sighs> so this plays a little bit into, you know, it's obviously most of the time when I have people on here, I really, one of my favorite things about the podcast is I learn. Hmm. I discover a lot. Like I get to, I'm not just like putting together a podcast and like asking questions. I genuinely learn. So my questions are most of the time like curiosity. curiosity. Yeah. Well, with you, I know, I don't know everything you're going to say and teach. That's for sure. <laughs> I've learned that even though I know you, I'm not going to know. You're always surprised. I'm always surprised. <laughs> But I will, I do know a little bit of this story in this track. And so, uh, you know, some of this stuff, even in the Easter message, it, it, it plays into your and I's experience in the church and, mm-hmm. and some of the, some of the sensitivities that we have as a result of, of, you know, mental health and your profession and your perspective of things. And it plays into, and I think it's an, it's important, mm-hmm. um, how people experience the message and the environment and what's said is, is a vital part in terms of, of, of communication mm-hmm. and, and, and the content uh, is, is really important as well. And I did something this week uh, with Good Friday that was unique. I've never done a message like this before where um, I kind of, I, I, I redistributed the weight of emphasis for the word hell. And so if you didn't, hear this message, go and listen to this message. But the, the, the general recap is that a lot of us have been raised, especially in, in this century and in the past hundred years with this idea that, uh, hell is a destination that you don't want to go to because it's dark, it's full of fire, it's painful. And it's kind of the worst thing that can happen to a human soul after they die and a lot of times hell is used uh, in, in the church world and in evangelism strategy 
as kind of a fear driven piece. Hey, you know, uh, if you die today, where are you going to go? And you don't want to go to this place. So Jesus is your, you know, it's not like love Jesus. It's like, you don't want to go there. So mm -hmm. you might as well offer what he gave you, which is just so like crippled and, and it's just so not the, the reality of the scriptures. And so when you really, you hear those things and looking into the study of it all, it's a, it, there's a platonized view of it, a very Greek idea that's happening with disembodied souls and that, that your soul goes to one of these places, whether heaven or hell. So that, that's a, that's the first part that's not really true. And it, it comes from people's trying to understand what happens to people when they die, you know, your body's in the ground or whatever. And so you're, you're something about you is gone. And so the Bible says to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And then we ultimately go, well, if, if you're a Christian and you're with the Lord, where are you if you're not? And then throughout basically 1500 years of history, um, these, these Greek ideas kind of evolved into a hell idea within, you know, uh, Dante's Inferno and the different levels of hell and different interpretations of Hades and Abraham's bosom and all this stuff. And then stuff from the book of Revelation, which has to do with the first century, but people like to make it seem like it has to do with the end because parts of the book have to do with the end. And I digress, uh, people have created, and in the American psyche or the Western psyche, hell is about where your soul goes if you don't know Jesus, when you die, for eternity to be tormented. And the Bible actually does not holistically communicate that that's, that's, the, that's it on hell. Hell is something, and I talked about that, that almost every time in the Gospels when it's talked about, it's talking about a present reality. Uh, the brother of James talks about hell like it's something that's president, G present. Jesus talks about hell like it's a, a reality that that exists in like kind of this trash dump outside the city. Um, and and so uh, we see that hell is this agency of death and, and this force of evil. And Jesus says that there's going to be a church that hell won't be able to overcome. So it's a reality now. It's not like, he's not like, oh, you know, church means you won't go to hell when you die. He says that the gates of hell won't prevail against the gates or the power of the local church. So all that to say, there's a reality that is hell now. And the way that it's talked about in, in the Bible, particularly as it relates directly to heaven, heaven seems to be the option that's moving into the space to get rid of the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not then, but primarily now. Mm -hmm. And we would do we would do ourselves a service to reorient uh, our minds around hell, because uh, it's one thing to be afraid to go somewhere, so you live kind of good enough to not end up somewhere. It's a whole other thing to go. I'm going to live in such a way that, to the best of my ability my commitment to God is to partner with him to bring heaven to earth and he heaven and hell can't coexist in the same kind of rule. It's like, if my life is, is, is permeated and driven by the rule of heaven, then by default, like I'm, I'm not giving into the kingdom of darkness. And, and anyway, so I talked about how my bottom line was, is that Jesus didn't come just to keep you out of hell when you die, which I, we do believe at this church that there's kind of an ultimate hell thing. And, and I don't think it's what people think, and I'm not going to get into it, but I mean, there's so much theology out there and I think people are overly certain about it. And I think that's one of the dangers that you, you might even touch on just the overly certain dogmatic, scary, fear-driven gospel. And so I do believe that the Bible teaches that there's, there's a problem at the end, if you will, but man, like he didn't come just to save you 
from uh, to keep you out of hell, but to get the hell out of here, out of this place and out of us. And so I really believe that the work of the cross is the beginning of the def- destruction of evil and sin and that we're supposed to start to see it play out now. And when the evangelists started the church after they met with Jesus for three years, they preached the gospel. They never talk about how you need to not, you need to pray so you don't go to heaven when you die. They're always talking about how we believe Jesus is a real person. He resurrected from the dead. That means there's a kingdom. It's a kingdom of goodness. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of hope. And that's who we're for. And it wasn't like, oh, you know, you better believe in Jesus or you're going to die and go to hell. It was, we all live in hell. We know what Rome is. We know what you know, uh, injustice is. We know what pain is. We know what suffering is. Jesus came, suffered the ultimate sacrifice so that he could advance to you some life and goodness here now in summary. And so, so, so I think it's important to, for people to read the Bible in a fresh way, look at hell, look at where it is. And I don't know, for me, the biggest impact has been, I don't want that I don't want to be fixated on something that I'm trying to avoid in the future. And then by doing that, almost like be blinded to the fact that those, those things can manifest in my life. Now the agents of hell and darkness Mm and, and believe that, you know, all of the new Testament for the most part was written, not about making sure you end up somewhere good, but, but reorienting our lives, reordering our lives around a kingdom life now and a heaven now, anyway, thoughts, what, what were your thoughts on this this concept? I mean, as it relates yeah, to you. I mean, and- you know, it's ironic that I'm the one here today. I think my thoughts are that this is, this mirrors so well. I mean, the death, burial, resurrection process, as well as conversations about hell mirrors so well what we do in mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, partly my job is to take someone who's, who is experiencing their version of hell mm-hmm. and to bring healing and growth and mm-hmm. redeeming qualities to their life now. And yeah, so I think for exactly. me, I'm like, yes, right. like how hopeless would it be if it's just like, well, we just have to white knuckle our way mm-hmm. until finally one day we mm-hmm. get to, to be, you yes. know, void of that right. sometime. Yeah. Right. Like to me that, that is, that's hope and it's yeah. curiosity and it's wonder. And it's all those things that we can experience now. We, 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 we spend so much time trying to conjure and create a, a reality of doom and destruction mm. that probably is, you know, it, it is real, some future thing. I don't, you know, I'm less certain about exactly what it is, but I think the Bible's clear that it is. But what is so overly clear is the destruction and the pain and the problems mm. now. I mean, people show up to you and they are living, they're living some kind of hell. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're living, like they're coming to you, not so that it's like, oh, can you make sure that I don't end up like this forever? They come into you at a place where they're going, something's got to happen in mm-hmm. my life, or this is only going to get worse. And yeah. I can't imagine it getting much worse. And I believe that the kingdom of God shows up as a, as the, you know, the 10,000 charms that are really there in in a Christ-like way to help people experience a totally different, you know, life. And and that's what you do. You help people through that process of 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 heaven. So um so that was kind of Good Friday. And I mean hell is just like, you know, I had a lot of fun with the message. I I, mm-hmm. I told people at the end, I said, you know, when God gets a hold of us in the kingdom of God, 
moves us and we have the spirit of God as an agent, you know, starting to, to animate our life and, and transform us from the inside out, then it's amazing the kind of fruit that comes from that. And it's really fun to see and be a part of. And then I just told everybody, so genuinely get the hell out of here. Like, cause I mean, I really believe <laughs> you would, and this is a, this is a hot thing. So here's a theological thing. All the theological people out there, they're going to be like, Oh, you're crossing the line. I, I, there's someone that said to me one time from one of my schools back when that it's, you know, it's, it's wrong or, or to say that people are bringing heaven to earth, that we're bringing heaven to earth and that the appropriate language that N.T. Wright uses is we're building for the kingdom. Mm. So it's like we're building for the kingdom. Well, I just think that the disparity between those two concepts is so minimal that it's almost w like not worth talking about. Mm bring heaven to earth, like live your life. Like we're supposed to be bringing the kingdom. Now, are we the ones bringing the kingdom? No, like the kingdom is in us and working through us. So I just feel like it's kind of like a, like a nuanced verbiage thing. Mm -hmm. I really believe that we're supposed to be people that are bringing heaven to earth, mm -hmm. building for the kingdom, living now for it. So anyway, mm -hmm. I, so, so with hell, I, I, I do think that that's a big role that we're supposed to play. And then the resurrection um, conversation that we had, you know, I gave uh, on, on Easter Sunday, I gave my probably broadest summary of like the entire Christian movement. And that is that, you know, we, we did a, a whole thing called gardens and the idea that God is a gardener and that he, he made us gardeners that we're supposed to take his, his a, a, a original work, which was very good, move it forward and do more good things and create beauty, life, goodness, and flourishing with the raw material that God gave us and all the abilities that he gave us. So in a sense, we're supposed to be gardeners, not in a literal sense, maybe in a literal sense, because I, I mean, I think for most of human history, most people have been some version of a gardener, you know, in act, built, you know, raising crops and whatever animals, like you had to, you had to do some type of long-term uh, nurturing of animals or plants to be able to survive. Um, but in this day and age, I think that, that the freedom to branch off, no pun intended, into all kinds of different trades to take the raw material of the world and go, go make it wonderful and take your skill and ingenuity and apply it to bettering people's lives. I think that's what it means to be a gardener. We're supposed to partner with the Holy Spirit to do that. And that's what I said. We're partners with God. And that's one thing like that's different than what we kind of heard growing up. You're a partner with God. You know, what do you, what do you think of when you hear that? I mean, I think growing up, we were less than that, right? Partnership right. to me carries a lot more value mm -hmm. um, in our role where it was kind of like, oh, you're nothing. Yeah, you're nothing. You're lucky if God chooses to work mm -hmm, through because mm -hmm. he can work through nothingness. Yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. yeah, it was like you're the message we got is like you're nothing. You take these passages that have tremendous meaning, but they're just like isolated, all like sheep have gone astray. You're born into iniquity. Mm -hmm. uh, no one does righteous. No, not one. You know, your righteousness is filthy rags. And it's just basically like, oh, well, you, you are nothing. Mm -hmm. And then God can work through. A, a jackass, you know, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That was, that was it. Like you're a jackass, you're a donkey and God might use you anyway. Mm -hmm. So be thankful, mm -hmm. which is just not the biblical worldview. Mm. It is, it, 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 there is some truth in, in the idea that like we're fallen. Well, there's real truth in it. You're fallen. We're cracked. We fall short of the glory of God. We're, I mean, biblically the narrative is teaching that, but it's also teaching very clearly you are made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. God has great 
plans for you. He made you in, in you know, in this miraculous way as an image bearer. Mm-hmm. You have tremendous intrinsic value. And therefore, you know, this part that's broken, God solved it on the cross. He defeated sin. He defeated the armies of darkness. And he raised from, from the dead in the resurrection to give you the spirit of the living God so you can start the process of a renewed humanity now. And that was my, mm-hmm. that was my message. You're starting the process of renewed humanity. Resurrection Sunday. Um, the author is clearly making sure that people know that it is a new creation. It's like Genesis one again, day one in Genesis. The first day of the week is like Genesis, the first day of creation. And Mary thinking it was a gardener is just like seeing God gardening and creating this original, this original Eden. And so here he goes, starting the process of new creation, and we are his partners. And it is a great, it is a great thought. And it, it takes personal responsibility and says, I got to, all right, you know, I'm a partner, so I got to, I got to work, mm-hmm. I got to push, but also now I've been given the life force of the spirit of God to be able to go into the world and make it great. And I, you know, it's like I'm beating a dead horse, but like I did a whole series about this where it's like salvation by grace. I mean, so much of the world we grow up in is like, you're nothing, you're saved by grace. And, and then, you know, you're supposed to like have the fruit of the spirit start to happen not like, oh, you're saved by grace because the purpose of your life is to be, you know, fruitful, image bearer, gardening, loving, you know, industrious mm-hmm. people who make the world a grander reality for themselves and all the people around them. It's like, it's not, it's kind of like a result of you're getting saved now. So you're going to start to have some spirit as opposed to the beginnings of a new creation of humanity. Like, dude, we're getting you back up to where you were originally designed to be, go do good works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I quoted Ephesians for we are God's craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should do. We're supposed to do these things. So I don't want you to hear that I don't believe in salvation by grace through faith because I do. I believe that the purpose of salvation by grace through faith is to get you back onto the track of of gardening and being a gardener and taking the world into an industrious, wonderful, beautiful garden city. Go read John Mark Comer, read anything by N.T. Wright and Tim Mackey, and you're going to be like, okay, this is this this is the worldview that I'm coming from. So do you have any thoughts on Easter or resurrection before we dive into the mental health world? Oh my gosh, random. This is so random, but someone told me that there is an initiative in downtown Columbus where um, they train legit gardeners and you Hmm. can go through their training process and become a master gardener. And it's a food scarcity initiative. Hmm. Like they've taken plots of land in downtown Columbus and they're growing crops and feeding people that need food and giving them fresh produce. And that like oddly jumped into my head when you were talking like just such a clear picture. Yeah. Yeah, Garden city of like, okay, we're, yes, we're physically doing gardening, but it's meant to restore yes. someone in some yeah. way, meet a physical need yeah. or, you know, whatever. Right. So anyway, that just I know that's cool. I didn't mind. know that. A lot of that's happening uh, in Detroit too. Mm. Like they've had such a horrific, you know, uh, economic uh, kind of fallout over the past 30 years. And now they're taking old buildings, leveling them and turning them into places to create produce mm-hmm. and gardens and parks and things like that. And, um, Anyway, I, I so you know, I, I did a little bit different take on the resurrection. I mean, I think it's a lot different take. A lot of people, I think anyone out the out there that's listening, you know, 
a lot of people think that the resurrection and John and I talked a lot about this, but I didn't say this specifically uh, in our resurrection podcast, which was before this. A lot of people think that the resurrection is to prove that Jesus is God, that he's like, okay, was that God? He died for me, but if he didn't raise from the dead, then he's not God. Right. So now he raises from the to, to new life. And it's like, oh, there now we know he's God so we can believe in him. And so that means he forgave us of our sins. When in fact, that's not what the resurrection is about. The resurrection, God doesn't do things to prove that he's God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He is it's like LeBron James doing things to prove he's LeBron. He, he doesn't... He just mm. is. So he does things. And those things are what God does. Mm. And that's a different disposition. It's mm. like, oh, he's, oh, he needed, we, we didn't know we had to, you know, doubting Thomas is not a story about how some people just doubt that Jesus is God. Doubting Thomas is a story about a guy who spent three years with a guy. He was crucified on a Roman cross and he wasn't there the first time he showed up. So he was like, I don't believe you guys. Mm-hmm which is the most normal thing in the world to do. Mm -hmm. So it's not even really like a classic doubt commentary. It's more of a, well, I wasn't there. I'm sorry. I, I You guys are all great and it's awesome, but like maybe you all had some weird water that day. I need to see it yeah. because, which they already saw it. Yeah. So of course they believed it. Right. And yeah. it's like, yeah, there's going to be people and there's a faith commentary of people that didn't get to touch his hands. But after 500 people saw it, we have this movement of, of it. And we, and, 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 but his question was so normal. I would have been the exact same way. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's like suddenly the, the real Christian is the one that's like, really? He rose from the dead. Nobody knows this. I believe it. Well, of course you don't believe it. No, people don't believe that. That's not believable. So God doesn't raise to life to prove that he's God. He mm. raises to life because he, he's doing the thing that God has to do mm. in order to restart humanity. He's defeated, this process of the cross has defeated evil. He's overcome the powers of darkness. He, he raises to do new life, to, 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 to manifest his presence as the Lord of the cosmos. And then he, he takes to the humans in their forgiven state and he breathes on them the Holy Spirit to re-energize them, reanimate them to go be who they were originally designed to be. Mm -hmm. And so it had to happen that way. It's not... He did it to prove, and now you should believe in him. It's you could not believe in him unless he did that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I know you're just sitting there yeah. nodding at me. No, but um, I would have totally been the same way, and yeah. maybe not even from a doubt point point of view, but like curiosity. You know, right. I think about like when we take pictures with the iPhone, and like as a family, and the first thing our kids say is like, "Oh, I want to see, I want to see. see it." Yeah, right. Like, yeah, yeah totally. I, I would want to see. I would want to see it. Yeah, and then it's like, is it him? Because he he's like he's obviously healed to some degree, because it doesn't look like him. So apparently, you know, his face was mangled and his body mm. was mangled and that's what crucifixion did. So he doesn't look like Jesus when he dies. Mm. So then he raises to some type of like r totally reformed, mm. glorified state, human state. And, and he's in like that form that he was when he created the world originally. I mean, that's kind of the idea. Mm -hmm. And then and then, but he, but then he, he carries the scars mm -hmm. of his past into his future, kind of to say like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm a giving, self-giving, benevolent God. That's mm -hmm. what I do. I give myself to you and here's, yeah. here's my proof. So he, of course he doesn't look like him. He doesn't look like him. And then it's like, but he leaves those scars so that, so that they can know this is me. Mm -hmm. This is me. I rose and I'm the one. And if you don't see that stuff, you wouldn't believe it. 
Mm-hmm. Think about it. If all that was gone, you, you wouldn't believe it either. He had to look like him the way yeah. he did before he got mangled on the cross because there's no way they would believe it was him. He looked like Jesus. Now there's walk to Emmaus and all Emmaus walk. And it says that he kept them from noticing who he was, but he looked like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I no. this is actually something I think about a lot. Oddly, um, I have a mentor in the field of eating disorder treatment named Carolyn Costin. And she talks about all the time how when individuals recover from an eating disorder in, in the midst of their recovery process, one of the things we'll hear them say is like, I wish I could just go back Mm. in time to before the eating disorder came about before Mm. the pathology developed. And, um, she's like, you know, she's like, I, I appreciate that sentiment, but if you went back, it would happen all over again, Mm. essentially. Right. So, so I guess I like to think about, you know, well, yeah, Christ, you know, he, he's, he's resurrected, he's renewed, he's restored in glory, but he's, he's not going to be the same. Right. Right. And, and I think that is for us too. Like we're not going to be the same. We're going to be different because it's a new, it's a new creation. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's good. So anyway. Okay. So we're going to jump into, um, the part of the podcast that is, is, is the main part called the aficionado. This is where we have the, the expert in the field, and Katie is an expert in mental health and practice. And you're going to hear all about that. So we're going to dive into uh, an hour and a half here of discussion or so on mental health with Katie Kovacs. This is The Aficionado. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so we we have we have uh, another half an hour here where we're going to talk about this, and then we have another another hour to fill up, you know, with, with with other stuff if we if we need to, and I'm sure we will. So before we get to mental health, why don't you? Because it's always fun. Just give like a brief history, just of of us, our relationship, um, and then and then you specifically, and you could do that in any order. You can start with you, of course. Your your life, your basic trajectory, where you and I meet, and 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 just give a little brief history of of us to everybody. Oh gosh! And then okay. how you got into your field, so they can okay. kind of just do do okay. all that. Yeah. So I'll give I'll give I'll try to intertwine it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's fine. So, Inter- intertwine it. Intertwine it. So, well, the big piece is we're both from Worthington, born and raised mm-hmm. in Worthington, and um, you know we met when we were fourteen our freshman year of high school, yep. you were a football player and sorry to add that in there. That's all right. <laughs> the joke that will never die. The joke will never and die. I was a cheerleader. Um, prior to that, you know, I was, um, you know, family, I have two brothers, you know, what was interesting about my world, even before you and I met is my younger brother was mentally and physically handicapped. So I, my childhood, I grew up in a house with, ramps and PTs and special contraptions and just different, a different household, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, Mm -hmm. So you and I met by the time we were 14 um, and went through high school together. And then um, we initially started college going separate ways, but Mm -hmm. ended up again together in Bible college and then finished out college separately, Mm -hmm. Um, got married um, after college and then been together ever since mm-hmm. my goodness what is it this year is it's gonna be 19 oh my gosh 22 jeez 
I had to think about that a couple of days ago because I knew it would come up. So I was like, I, I was like, yeah. I'm not. I, yeah. 2003 is when we got married. So we've got, so we, 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 when we first got married, lived in Dublin for a minute and then we moved to New Albany because of my job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had the whole church thing right around when I started the church, we had our first son. Mm-hmm. So we have three mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. 2010 boy, 2012 boy, 2014 girl. And then, uh, out of college, Katie, you were a Spanish teacher. Yeah. High and school then talk, Spanish to, teacher. talk to everybody how you, you made the transition in, into the mental health world. Yeah. Interesting. So I taught at Hilliard Davidson high school for two years. I taught high school Spanish, um, and was the dance team instructor, um, my best time of the day was just hanging out with kids. Mm-hmm. I got irritated that I had to actually teach them like verb conjugations mm-hmm. and grammar and how mm-hmm. to speak and that kind of thing. Um, I love just being with the kids, moderating a study hall, hanging out with them, hearing about stuff that was going on in mm-hmm. the world. Um, boyfriends, struggles with mom and dad, mm-hmm. pressure of college, sports, all kinds of things. Um, what what happened is back then it was still under the Bush Clinton administration where teachers had to go back to school to get their license or their um, master's degree. And they had to have it in order to stay licensed in the state of Ohio. And so I was like, well, I might as well do this and fell in love with the program. I did a school counseling program initially, um, went to talk to my advisor and said, I, I want to do more. I want to switch mm-hmm. over to clinical counseling. Um, I'll never forget that meeting because he gave me a brilliant piece of advice. He said, whenever you're making a big decision like this, make sure you're running towards something, not away from something. Mm -hmm. And he's like, is that, can you evaluate yourself Mm -hmm. on that? I'm like, yeah, I want to learn diagnosis and treatment and, you know, uh, mental disorders like that school counselors don't get Mm -hmm. to do any of that. I want to help people really more deeply. And so he's like, okay, I'll sign your paper. And Mm -hmm. then never looked back. Um, still reference that meeting, mm-hmm. you know, run towards something, not away from something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And worked in private practice right out of school for someone else. And then <laughs> how long, uh, six years, six years. Yeah. And then when I was pregnant with jet, um, in 2012 started my own practice and we just celebrated the 10 year mm-hmm. mark in March. Yeah. 10 okay. years. So, before you tell us anything else about a mental health, do you have anything else you want to tell all these people about me? What do you want to tell them? <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you want to tell? It's, gonna, it's just going to come out, isn't it? It's just going to come out. Oh, yeah. We won't just we go for it. it. We'll just let it naturally we'll let it come out. We'll just naturally come out. Okay. <laughs> Are you nervous? No, I mean, not too nervous. Okay. Um, um, okay. So, Katie, what, uh, what is mental health? What, what and what does it mean? Yeah. So, mental health... technically the definition is that it involves our emotional, our psychological and our social, social relational world. Mm -hmm. So it's everything from how we function in relationships, how we handle stress, Mm -hmm. how we take care of ourselves and other people, how we make decisions, um, how we metabolize emotion, Mm -hmm. um, our thinking patterns, our behavior, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. So. So, so tell everybody just a little bit what you do every day. Yeah. So, um, I'm a private practice clinician, so I have appointments on the hour, um, clinic appointments on the hour. And so usually people come into my office, we sit down, I do have a couch. Um, (laughs) and usually, you know, all it takes is 
how are you doing? Or mm-hmm. how was your week? Something, some kind of opener, open-ended question and people start talking. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I let them talk for 10, 15 minutes and then we kind of dive into whatever the meat is of that session. Um, I, my style, I don't plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I just listen for what I'm, mm-hmm. listen for the work mm-hmm. and, and kind of jump in. Usually it's a lot of empathy and validation mm-hmm. and teaching and, um, psychoeducation mm-hmm. and sometimes it's role playing mm-hmm. hard conversations sometimes it's helping you know thinking patterns i mean all kinds of things and then sessions are usually 50 minutes and so yeah. we wrap up and schedule for the next week and um you know the idea is that weekly you see somebody and their symptoms alleviate and um their functioning improves you know with eating disorders sometimes well, yeah it, so back yeah, everybody up yeah. like you're you, you, what are you doing you're like, what is the nature of your work? Yeah, so um, really, I mean, my eating eating disorders is my specialty. So that's 90% of my caseload. And so I'm coaching, um, you know, there's some specific things that come up in counseling with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And uh, oddly, we don't talk about food or mm-hmm. bodies all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is um, boundaries work. It's self-esteem work, self-concept work. It's a lot of trauma work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, having a voice, having agency, um, you know, all all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of thinking patterns, eating disorders tend to be very black and white, very Mm -hmm. perfectionistic, um, all or nothing thinking. Um, so, you know, those are some of the major Mm -hmm. issues that, that I, that I help people with. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're looking like I work usually with a team of, you know, maybe a family therapist, a dietitian, mm-hmm. um, And so we're looking for, you know, in some cases, weight to restore, mm-hmm. um, teaching people how to tolerate discomfort, how to mm-hmm. tolerate negative emotion, mm-hmm. um, intense emotion when they eat. Um, yeah. And just really moving through that. That's kind of high level of, yeah. of what I'm doing. So I want, I want you to t- teach people what an eating disorder is, but I, I want you to first tell people why you're doing that work, how okay. you got yeah. into that yeah. work. I mean, to say it simply, um, eating disorder work has been my life's work, both professionally and personally. Right. Um, I think you'll have to tell me how much detail yeah. you want me yeah, yeah, to yeah. get no, into. I, I want you to tell everybody yeah, how yeah. you got there. Okay. Um, you know, you heard me mention before, um, my mental health journey really didn't come to a crisis point until college, but, um, I was an anxious kid, probably a sensitive kid. I was a chronic nail biter, that kind of stuff. Um, and in my house, I had a lovely home with lots of opportunity. Um, but we did not have a culture where we really talked about emotion that much. We Mm -hmm. didn't, we, we were very cognitive household, a very educated thought oriented household, but didn't really talk about emotion. And so, um, what what, what does that mean? Like give people like, Yeah. I mean, the only time I ever remember anybody in my family saying anything expressive with emotion was like, oh, I'm anxious for blank. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, I'm nervous, anxious. It was like, uh, oh, I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to. So it'd be like, oh, I'm anxious for our trip or something like that. And so otherwise we didn't, we didn't talk that way. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that kind of cultural Mm -hmm. base, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, it was interesting. I think looking back, um, without having that expression. And then like so many young girls do, I learned probably by the time I was in junior high school or I'm sorry, my junior year of high school that, um, restricting food and exercising was a solution for that, that, okay, I can exercise and restrict my food intake and decrease my 
emotional world. I can make it more t- more manageable. I now can. That's not, now then you're not like a, a junior going like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Right. So what right, do you mean by that? Right. It you're just, just, you know, like you, you're coping. Yeah, basically. Right. I didn't know it at the time. It wasn't this conscious thing, but now I know the science of what's actually happening. So when, what, what, what actually is happening? Yeah. So what actually is happening is when you do not eat enough um, and you're essentially living in a malnourished state, you slow down your amygdala. So your amygdala is the emotion control center of the brain. So back up for a second. Okay. Tell people why, because you didn't have emotional verbiage or, mm-hmm. or, or rails to ride on, why you reverted subconsciously to restriction yeah. or, di- or whatever. Yeah. Tell, yeah. Tell, tell, just so, give, back that up a little bit. So the best way to describe that hopefully is, is through metabolism, right? So with our emotions, what we want is, is a metabolism for our emotions, right? When we feel them, we can tolerate and kind of sit something. with them. We can understand, we can, we can get the, the nutrition mm-hmm. from them. Mm-hmm. We can take the message from them mm-hmm. and then we can express. And mm-hmm. so part of it is useful. And then part of it kind of is, is just, it passes on. Right. right and right. so, um, I, I, you know, without that emotional metabolism, right, without that ability to, um, you know, manage emotions, we, we all do this. We all sort of revert to other ways of coping, right? I mean, the big ones like, you know, alcohol, drugs, drugs, you know, um, perfectionism, workaholicism, like these are all our attempts to manage our internal and external worlds to decrease distress. So, Um, so generally speaking, if someone doesn't have not only a, an outlet mm -hmm. or, or a mode mechanism for expressing, expressing emotion, Mm -hmm. but then also if, if they, if they aren't, if they're going through difficult things and they just, they don't handle it well, they they revert to all all different kinds of self self satiating like you think sure. oh, so sure. so sure. you 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 couldn't didn't have the rails necessarily or the verbiage or whatever to to express so your choice was to restrict i mean i used a couple things i was i was an achiever like mm-hmm. oh i got to get good grades, grades and- i got to be you know a star i got to you know, be the captain of the cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Like I used achievement definitely as a way of coping. Um, you know, people pleasing mm-hmm. was a big one of mine too. Like just be a good girl, be kind, you know, don't, don't make waves. Um, but then, yeah, like restriction was more of the one that I sort of stumbled upon. Like, Oh, this feels really good. To so me. Is, it, is it a little bit like, like there's something going on. It's emotional. You don't have, you don't have the mechanism or the patterns of, of, dealing with that emotion in like a normal way, mm-hmm. like you do with food, you eat some, your body keeps some, the rest you let out, you don't have that. So then you're kind of like, like white knuckling, trying to figure out a way to like feel good or mm-hmm. focus. And then you find something you can control. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's what, what it, so then, so then the, the food thing does this thing that drugs does, right? Is what you were getting at. Yeah. So, so food restriction will slow down your amygdala, which is your emotion control center of the brain. So, so you ever heard someone like go on a new diet and you're like, Oh, how are you doing? And like, Oh my God, I feel amazing. amazing yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a, 
that's part of the effect is that mm-hmm. when we when we restrict our food intake when we're not in a fully nourished state we're going to have sort of a certain a euphoria or yes, something right um and that's very similar i mean you know we're talking about like purging behavior um similarly that the high that results in the brain from that pleasure mm-hmm. um sort of mimics that of of heroin like it's mm-hmm. a really strong effect in the brain and so you so, start going down that road yeah so started figuring out that hey, this feels really good. This is, this is you know, kind of a, a sweet deal, right? Like I can manage my emotion, be a good girl. And on top of that, get a lot of positive feedback from the world. People yeah. saying like, oh my gosh, you look so great mm-hmm. or this and that, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and it was kind of there, I would say in, in high school. And then where it really ramped up is um, the transition into college. So I didn't transition well. College was really scary in general. I had no idea what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be. Um, leaving home was scary, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it definitely was my primary way of coping. Um, so eating, so, so you did restrictive eating, mm-hmm. but you also, you mentioned like exercise. So, so mm-hmm. you, your may, way of coping was, a very regimented approach to eating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, just following a plan. I knew everything that I was going to eat. Uh, I knew what workouts were going to happen, what days, you know, it's what's ironic about it is, you know, somebody now looking at it would have been like, Oh, that's great. Yeah, right? right. Like yeah, something sure. that's, uh, this is why eating disorders are so scary is because it's very, affirmed by mm-hmm. pop culture, mm-hmm. right? Oh my gosh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. You're you know? doing, you're, you're, yeah. you're sacrificing, you're so discipline, you're doing yeah. all this. Yeah. So then what's the fine line there? I mean, how do you, or yeah. you don't maybe not want to go or just so, so, so restrictive eating mm-hmm. and, and you're saying now, you know, for a fact, lack of, of the language around processing emotion or the process of emotion lacking Mm -hmm. your world being kind of rocked, not wanting to, you know, be in a different place. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm dragging you out of Denison university. Yeah. We hadn't come to that yet. Yeah. So, so, which is another, so, but, but essentially, and we go there, but it's like just a, a, a sense of a total lack of control. Yeah. It's, that's something that people commonly say, you know, oh, eating disorders are about control. Um, I think I, I bristle a little bit at that language because it sounds um, maybe oversimplified. I think the more sophisticated way to say that is eating disorders are about a restriction of agency, mm. right? That that someone who has developed eating disorder pathology, what it is, is a bid for agency, a bid to feel you know, yes, it is control, but to feel like they have ownership of their own life. Mm. And so I think Mm. that's where, you know, when it's like, I got to be something. So I'm going to, I'm going to like fill out this space, control my eating, control what I look like, what I feel like Mm -hmm. and, and, and become something, but through the process of malnourishment and bad practice, you're actually hurting yourself tremendously. Yeah. It's so, so I'll say like, you heard me say high school, I definitely think my food restriction and exercise use was there. And then college, it definitely amped up in terms of its, its way that helped me, that it helped me cope. Um, But then for me, where it really turned into full blown pathology is um, yeah. uh, You know, 
are you okay with me describing this? Like yeah, no, I want moving you to. into Bible college. Right. So I had started out at Denison University and um, you know, you you were at Bible college already and in so many ways, I was told like, hey, Bible college is God's will for your life. Right. No, and you so, say it. I mean, that's that where I was is I was in a place of the, drinking the Kool-Aid, not to be, I mean, but, mm-hmm. you know, really wanting to be at a Bible school. And then I'm coming from this broken home where I'm wanting the one girl in my life to be with me because I need her for me. <laughs> and... And the, the truth of it is, is that it had no, my, my call to you, even though it, it on the face sounded like this is what's best for you. Mm-hmm. What it really was is me saying, this is what's best for me and you need to come here for me. And me, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't consider your interests. I didn't consider what you needed, what you what you were going through, it was all about me Mm. and you left and came there. And that was like the beginning of the, that was like almost the end of your life because just you lost yourself completely. Yeah. I would say, you know, how do I say this? The, the, within 24 hours of getting to Bible college, I was vomiting violently. Mm Mm-hmm. But not purging. You were like, yeah, like I thought I was really sick. I couldn't eat anything. I was fainting in the shower, like could hardly stand up. I missed like the first week of class, which Mm -hmm. was ironic. I was a new student. I was supposed to attend orientation. And looking back, I think in my interpretation of that now is like my body was telling me like my body was telling me this is this is not where you need to be. Like you can you can be in God's will anywhere. Right, like, yeah. You don't have to be here, but I didn't know that. And I, I'm not sure that you knew that, right? We were earnest at the yeah. time. Um, you know, when someone believes, oh, okay, follow God and, and you know, pursue his will. Yeah. Um, I did. And I think, you know, in, in kind of back to that statement of the development of an eating disorder is sort of a bid for agency. Yeah. Um, just to kind of share with everybody the environment that we were in, it was a very conservative Christian environment. Um, you know, we had to dress a certain way, talk a certain way. We had study hours, work hours, class hours. You know, they were very firm on what was okay to believe. Um, I mean, gosh, how to wear our hair. I mean, every little thing. And so I think for me, that coping through food restriction just amped up tremendously where it was like, okay, yeah. this is the one thing that I can own. Yeah. The, it, it, I, I, I could say, I, you know, in, in that place, I still think has a lot of work to do in order to be healthy. They've changed that culture, their mm-hmm. Bible Institute culture, knowing for a fact, I think some of their theology is really, really misguided and unhealthy, but like that practice alone, that it it was a toxic environment. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's a, it was designed by a guy in the air force from their boot camps, military, military. So it's like you bring in this girl who's just, you know, just trying to like be a freshman in high school, you know, already nervous about leaving home, already struggling with, with, you know, communicating emotion and then they get thrown into a place that is the most dogmatic basically if you don't do these things like like we we had spray bottles at, we were supposed to wake up in the morning and do our quiet time for mm-hmm. 15 minutes or something like that we had mm-hmm. to get out of our bed we had to sit in our chair and then 
sit and do our quiet time. And when you're done, just so people know, like you're supposed to pick up your Bible, put it away and spray your desk and wipe it down. Mm -hmm. And you have an RA. And if you don't, you get a demerit. Demerits. You get demerits for that. Like if you're walking down the path and you walk on the grass and an RA sees you, you get demerits. Mm -hmm. If you touch a girl's shoulder or a girl touches it, you get Mm -hmm. demerits. So like, you know, if you leave your soap in the shared shower, you get demerits. And then you have some RAs like mine, Tucker, who was like this dude (laughs) from Kentucky who, you know, he, he was well-intended, but he wasn't very regimented. He was more of a loose guy, but he had some natural leadership qualities. So I don't know how he became an RA, but you had like this militant, Mm -hmm. like, like really intense personality that was not no funny business. And you were just, you were just getting, you know, mm-hmm. drilled with every single thing along. I mean, so you start to think about that for someone at that state. And it's like, it was unhealthy for me yeah, for all kinds of reasons, because it wasn't actually helping me become the man that I want to become for lots of reasons. But mm-hmm. for someone that's like, just like, come on, I, you know, you have to memorize scripture. If you don't, you're not godly. If you, all this type of stuff. So mm-hmm. this is, the, I don't know how else we can describe that environment. Yeah. I mean, to give people a feel, I, I got demerits for talking and laughing yeah. with dorm mates. Um, I got demerits for singing a Shania Twain song one time. Jeez. Um, I got demerits for, you know, keeping the coat hung on the back of my chair, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And, yeah. and, I, and I'll say that like, you know, we know people, we have some loved friends, yeah. lifetime friends that are part of, you know, Word of Life College and all that stuff. And we basically don't agree with most of their theology. And, and for, for sure, I think there's a lot of really good people there, uh, mm-hmm. just like anywhere. But like the culture that they had, the culture was not godly, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. godly, Mm -hmm. not building up young people, not loving them the way they needed to be loved, not understanding adolescence, not understanding actual grace, just Mm -hmm. the, the wrong environment for students who are freshmen to come into, have no idea. And then it's suddenly authority and rules. And this is what it means to be godly. And you know, a lot, I mean, most kids that are 20 years old don't know if they believe in God, like Mm -hmm. just the Mm -hmm. whole thing. Yeah. So you were in that. And then, so can I tell, or can you tell how you kind of came to, it came to a head? Yeah. So, well, I want to fill that out a little bit more. I mean, I want to reiterate, yes, like we have some friends, right. That have, we've met through that, that entity and they're lovely people. And I do believe they love God fully. Um, but I also simultaneously believe what we were taught was not okay. Right. And, and things that even now as a mental health clinician, what we were taught about emotion, what we were taught about human value, what we were taught about, um, women, Women. um, other bodies, bodies, you know, I mean, you think about like when I, when I look back at our time at Word of Life, um, part of the, uh, you know, the other function of me having anorexia was it was a way to gain social power in an environment where women had no voice, no presence, were seen as, you know, kind of scary sexual objects that had to keep their knees covered all the time with skirts. And, Mm -hmm. um, so it, you know, I do view it as a very damaging Mm -hmm. and destructive environment, Mm -hmm. um, not just culturally, but yes, theologically. theologically. So what ended up happening, um, 
you know, we, what, the way that the school year is formed. Can, can I just, because yeah, yeah. I want you to, I, I, anyone that's listening to this, it's like, you, you know, I, I know the critics. It's like, well, you know, the truth is tough. Hmm. Listen, like the truth is tough, but Jesus was kind and Jesus was forbearing and Jesus was full of compassion and empathy. And you cannot read the, the narrative and, and not see that the manifesta- manifestation of God in the present, he was firm and he had, he had his things. But even the God of the universe taught through parables. He asked more questions than he gave answers. He was kind and compassionate. He wept. He healed people. He was, he was someone that people craved to be around. And so if, if the environment that, that you're in claims to be Christian, but it, it, it is not an environment that is the bedrock of it is genuine love and compassion. That doesn't mean you don't have your beliefs. It doesn't mean you don't agree to disagree. It just means that you are marked by love. It's like, I think Andy Stanley said some version of people may not agree with our theology, but they should be compelled or potentially overwhelmed by our compassion and our generosity. Like this, that's the defense. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you could sit there and say, well, we had some of the systematic theology that's right, which I don't even think some of it's right. A lot of it's wrong, but the manifestation of that, that is not a good environment. And it's not just anecdotal because my wife is here and she, (laughs) she didn't do well. Like, well, she didn't do well. Uh, a lot of people didn't do well. A lot of people didn't do well in that environment. A lot Mm -hmm. of people sprang out of there. My brother didn't do well in that environment. I look back on that environment and feel like they spent a lot of time not teaching me what I needed to know, Mm -hmm. what I needed to know as a man, what I needed to know as, as, as a, as a minister. Uh, and and so, you know, I don't want to, I just, I, I, I don't want anyone to sit there and go, this is just an anecdotal thing. I think that the church should be a place of receptivity and kindness. And, and anyway, I, I digress. That, yeah. That's just my, yeah. my piece. Well, I'll, I'll hit on that too. You, you asked how, how did it end? Right. Yeah. Um, the way the school year is set up is you are doing classes for like the academic year. And then over the summer you get a work assignment. So what your work assignment was, I worked on the, the island easiest thing in the world. drove sea-doos every day. <laughs> yeah. Was, my my work assignment was that I was in the like the camp store basically. The, kid, like, the kid yeah, store. Like yeah. the, the, they have like a Western theme. Yeah. And you were so like, like the, selling t-shirts and candy and souvenirs mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. that kids had money to spend. And um, at some point in the summer, what we got one day that we saw each other throughout the week. And I think... I think that's what happened is, is during the school year, when we saw each other every day, you didn't notice a change in me, but then come summer only seeing me once a week. And at some point you were like, Whoa, something is not okay. Well, so, so you were, you were always restricting in your eating. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and you were, you were literally running five miles a night or something like that, or Mm -hmm. three miles a night Mm -hmm. every night. While reciting the book of Ephesians yeah, in my head. Yeah, while reciting the book of Ephesians in your head. And and then when dur- during one of those summertime things, mm-hmm. we, we had a day off and we were together at my buddy's house and we were, mm-hmm. you know, going to grill out steaks or something, burgers. And we went to the grocery store to get stuff. We came back and you had already eaten. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why did you already eat? 
and you're like, I just had to eat and you had packed your lunch because mm-hmm. you just, you had this like system, everything mm-hmm. was, you know, in a Tupperware mm-hmm. and it was every meal every day. It was just like the most regimented thing. And at the time that initially frustrated me because I was like, you can't just like not eat that and eat what everyone else is going to eat. But then I was like, oh, like she can't, like she has to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you, you were so little you were under a hundred pounds and I, I was scared mm-hmm. for you. So I called your dad and I was like, you, you know, Katie, Katie's and you, but we had a conversation mm-hmm. in the car and where you cried and mm-hmm. you were like, I know, I know I need to go home. I need to go home. Yeah. And so your mom came and got you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and I felt relieved. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, previously, I remember, I mean, just, I, re- I have a memories of walking on the track and praying and talking to God and being like, okay, if, if this is what it means to be a Christian, like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Like I am miserable. I, I can't yeah. like count me out kind of a thing. And so when mom came and got me, I was relieved. And then I think, you know, it's funny. I got home, my parents made me an appointment to go see a therapist. Um, this is funny too. The first therapist I saw had the nerve to tell me that I had anorexia. And I was mm-hmm. like, who do you think you yeah. are? I'm never going back. She was right. horrible. Mm-hmm. So I told my dad, I'm like, nope, I won't go back. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, well, you don't have to see her, but you have to see someone. And that second therapist that I went to changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, Anorexia at the time was the most lethal mental illness only to now be number two, um, second to opioid addiction. Right. So when I say it, it saved my life, it did. Um, but it also saved my faith because I had heard all of these messages about who Jesus was you know, oh, Jesus, he, he can take away your shame. But the tone in which they were delivered was so shaming, right? Or, oh, Jesus, he's got perfect love for you that casts out fear. And yet using fear to tell us what to do or tell us how to follow God, like everything was a mixed message and it, it made it so um, confusing who God was. And so I think for the first time I walked into Dr. Hill's office. And I remember clearly thinking, maybe this is what Jesus is like. And I'm not saying like, you know, she was Christ or anything like that, but I had somebody who was safe and compassionate and non-striving. She did not have an agenda. She did not put a bunch of demands on me of what I needed to do. She didn't even tell me to eat. We hardly talked about food. She listened, she um, elevated my voice. She laughed um, with me. We went for walks. We, I remember one session, we ate an apple together, which felt like kind of scary, but also like I remember knowing I, I'm safe to do this with her. Mm. Um, I remember watching the ants, like we put a chunk of the apple on the ground and watching the ants come and get it and carry it away and commenting about it. Like these things that, restored my faith of like, okay, maybe, maybe this Jesus stuff is real. And 
maybe the last place I'm going to find him is Bible college, right? Like maybe I'm finding it here and maybe it's worth something. And if I just stick with it and grit it out and listen and trust, I can get somewhere. And sure enough, I did. And I wanted to keep doing that. I made my life Mm -hmm. about it. It's a hard play. I don't know how to stop. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take a break, but I, I think it's important for people to know like that you 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 did almost die. You know, I've told this story before. You were eighty nine pounds. And I, I know that mm, we shouldn't say that. I know it's relative and all that. The the point was is like you I remember there was a time where you were almost like you were a couple pounds away from some type of evasive action, like yeah. a life flight scenario to have to go to a special hospital. And, and, um, anyway, I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to end this. I think what we're going to do is we're just going to take a break and then, um, we're going to start episode 14 and pick up with kind of what now and what happened after that. And then, and then how I think mental health, Mm. And the sensitivities of that need need to be in the church and what, what we've learned and what we can learn moving forward. So um, check us out in uh, episode 14 uh, coming up soon. <laughs>